It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 Vaccine Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, what's going on? How are you? Uh, I feel uh, fortunate to be alive, blessed. It's a uh, wonderful day in uh, September. And uh, it's, it's good for all of us who are alive to, to be alive today and have an opportunity to, to do something worthwhile. Okay, so right now we're going to jump right to the findings because what we're seeing in the news now is a massive push for vaccines in the United States, while other places in the world have shown that the vaccines really have not stopped the new variant. But what news do you have sharing screen today? You know, really, we have a lot of exciting news. What we had was initially in the United States and around the world, we had a, quote, pandemic, end quote, of a coronavirus. And coronavirus was not aerosolized. You remember they said it wasn't an aerosol. Now they admit that coronavirus, as in the Delta variants and the highly transmissible variants, are now aerosolized. Well, for thousands of years of human history, that was never the case. Now suddenly it's the case, and they can't explain why, but that's okay too. And I don't encourage people to jump to conclusions. Originally, all these emergencies and, and, and fear were invoked. Right. Uh, I do not consider fear a wonderful emotion. People do horrible things out of fear. They hurt the rights of other people and they hurt other people. Uh, Fear is not good, is not necessarily good. You want to be educated and make educated, informed decisions. But people want to control your decisions too. And that makes it very difficult. Now, we had in the United States, we had the FDA that had been handling drug applications and vaccine applications for many decades. And the FDA had safety mechanisms built into it. It had a council of advisors or, or people, a number of people that had to approve. I think it was more than 10, I think more than 12. Okay. Those advisors now were asked to look at should we approve of the vaccine, which is, you know, for mRNA or in the United States. Right. And and their conclusion was, oops, we're going to approve it for, we will not give blanket approval for everybody over 12 years old. That flew in the face of what the CDC wanted and what the Biden administration wanted. Why? 
because the CDC and the people that were controlling the CDC had been running the shots. But when they wanted to get FDA approval, they had to follow the procedures and policies of the FDA. Right. The the contrast between the FDA and the CDC is based on the fact that the FDA usually runs our healthcare decisions for hundreds of millions of Americans, and they have built-in systems to prevent bias and corruption. Right. Those systems for protection did not exist at the CDC. Exactly. So we get this huge contrast. So, you know, they were just pushing vaccines on everybody, every man, woman and dog. Well, they did not. I, I should not exaggerate. And every I'm responsible for every statement I say. I have not heard of dog vaccinations. Yeah. So uh, I, I will. Uh, I take back that comment. Uh, although I think animals now can transmit. Have you heard that? Neil? No, I have not heard that. Yes, I, I think animals now can transmit. The real bottom line is what people need to understand in the United States and around the world is that COVID is likely to be in the air you breathe. And you probably, if you've had highly transmissible variants in your community, you may well have already breathed it. Okay. Now, we also know this. Your body and your immune system that God gave you is very good at immune defense, far better than anything that any pharmaceutical company or any government could create. Exactly, okay. Okay, and your body has been handling pathogens from the time in which you were born. And it tries to handle them in a very effective method. We have receptors for coronavirus in our intestinal tract. Now, nobody even said, is that an accident or is that part of a bigger plan? And I would suggest to you the reason we have them in our intestinal tract is because our intestinal tract analyzes, invites the virus in, grows it in our intestinal tract, studies it over days, exposing our immune system to that over days and weeks, and allows us to develop the very best possible immune response. And that actually turns out to be true a year and a half later. And that is becoming standard accepted doctrine around the world. Okay. So it is understood now that a natural infection will protect you far, far better than the vaccine, than the vaccine. Okay. Okay. And so so now that becomes idiot proof. Now, how much without exposure, you have no immunity, but if we inhale it and we have no immune defense, we may have very bad pulmonary disease. If we've said for a year, year and a half. And if it gets into our intestinal tract, la-di-da, we might have a loose stool or right. one episode of diarrhea. Big deal. Okay. So based so, on that, what is, what is uh, this, what's on the screen that you share? Here's what the, the news is. So when the FDA looked at licensing vaccines, they said, which was the reasonable thing. I think, and I said, I think I said something to this line to you, Neil, uh, back in February. If people that are older than 65 or at high risk have not had any exposure to their intestinal tract and are at high risk of never having an exposure, never having an immune defense, those people need to have some sort of exposure. Now, my position was different than than you, Neil, or 99.99% of your listeners. I was able to acquire covid 
live COVID virus from my community, expose it to my intestinal tract, develop my own immunity, la-di-da. Now, many of you in the community were actually forced, well, you weren't forced to, you chose to stay at home with your families and take care of those that had COVID. And I, I congratulate you on that. But if you inhaled, that was a risk. If you just swallowed it on your food and on your sports and plates, there's virtually very, very little, little or no risk. Now, the FDA has said appropriately still that if somebody was at high risk and older than 65, it's okay to get a vaccine. There's nothing wrong with that or even get a, a third shot. Right. But for normal people, they did not say it's, it's, it's going to be medically necessary if you're less than 65 to get it. Right. Uh, a booster. Now, let's see what a booster is. A booster for the mRNA is, a, is not a live virus. It is exposing you to an antigen of the spike protein that was manufactured by Pfizer or Moderna if it's an mRNA. Right. That spike has largely become obsolete because the virus has mutated. And we accept that the exposure is very brief. It only lasts generally a day or two in parts of your body. Maybe not every part of your body it doesn't reach. But you, some exposure is better than no exposure. Exactly. And we, and we knew that you'd have to have at least two shots of the short exposure mRNAs before you would actually begin to develop any defense. But any defense and exposure would prevent you from being a worst case outcome and really drop the number of death rates for people that had no exposure whatsoever. Okay. Okay. So the FDA contradicted virtually what the, what the CDC did. And the FDA is now coming out and saying, you know, we need to look at the process of natural infection. Well, you know, hey, guess what, guys? I was the one asking to present to Operation Warp Speed back last year, and I believe it was May of last year. Right. So guess what? They didn't let me present because they didn't want to hear about natural infection. Then. It turned out that they were a, a, attempting to do other mucosal responses. Altimmune had a nasal spray that sprayed some antigens in the nose. And I think Vaxart had a, another type of, of oral virus but it wasn't coronavirus. Okay. There, you know, Coca-Cola had a saying, there's nothing like the real thing. Do you remember that? Yes. There's nothing like the real coronavirus infection in your intestines to protect you from a later pulmonary infection. Okay. And, and that is probably the safest way to develop the longest lasting immunity. So is this article stating what's happening with the- Yes, let's, talk, let's go through this article. Now, when we look at this article, it's by Global Research. And, you know, I don't agree with everything that Global Research, but you need to open your mind and look at, look, look at where this article is coming from. Look at what it says. More than 15 studies now show that natural immunity is far superior and longer lasting Jeez. than what you get from the COVID shot. Okay. Guess what? We, I, hey, wasn't I the first guy he's, he said you, that? You were the first person that said that, Dr. Mark. Absolutely. Yeah. Guess what? There, there's In the real world, you don't get ticker tape parades. You don't go on the Today Show. You don't get applause. Well, we have all the recordings, Dr. Yes. Mark. Go back in yes. the podcast and go back and listen. As the, again, yeah, that's the, right. The one. Okay. Now, 
we have people, and it goes into how people that have had a natural infection are being compelled to have follow-up vaccinations. Now, is there anything wrong with people? You know, people have a right to do whatever they want with their own bodies. And if somebody wanted to take an experimental vaccine as many times as they choose, that's their choice. And if they want to look at their data or recommend that to somebody, they're, if they're a licensed physician, they can certainly do that. I don't have offense with that. People can do what they want to do with their own. People tattoo, right? People tattoo right. themselves. Tattoos don't necessarily make you live a long time, but people can do what they want with their own bodies. And if they want to keep getting vaccinated over and over and over again, that's certainly within their rights. And they should have. But should you compel people that have had a natural infection to get a vaccination? Absolutely not. Now, we had talked about on this show. Why didn't more people die when Delta Wave came through? I told people on this show that Delta Wave was highly transmissible. In a naive population that it had no exposure, death rates from Delta would be expected to be around 1%. Okay. Exposure happened to probably 90% of the population I would expect in the last 90 days to Delta. And yet, we don't have two or three million dead Americans. And the reason is, is that most people had gradually developed some sort, even those that weren't vaccinated, they had some exposure to this aerosolized virus that was coating their, fo their food, their plates, their forks, their spoons. But some people had no exposure for, they just missed out. Maybe they didn't order takeout. Maybe they didn't get a large enough dose. So basically the article, because we have stated this countless times on this podcast, what, and then on my national syndicated radio show, what do we, what do we know? And then what is this article stating? Everything that you've said. Yes. What has become very clear is that you really don't add much at all. Let's say I chose to get a, a vaccine and I could, maybe I want to get a vaccine to encourage somebody in my neighborhood who had been isolated at home, who was older than 65 and at high risk. So you and think I want to tell them older than 65 and high risk should get the vaccine. Yeah. Yes. And maybe I wanted to say to them, look, I'm going to take it just to prove to you that you need to. There's nothing wrong with, with me doing that. Now, may I have a bad reaction from that? Maybe. Will it do me any good? I have swallowed COVID eight or nine times. Believe me, I don't need any more gut exposure to develop my immune system any better than it is. I can't turn positive, And the people that are vaccinated do turn mouth positive and they exhale. I've been around people inhaling multiple times for hours and cannot turn positive. And that goes along with a good mucosal defense. These issues were never publicly discussed last year, even though people that were intelligent knew about them. Okay. There was not good discussion. There was. And what we had is now showing that they, the FDA, will now be much more broad to accept immune pathways and exposure using natural coronavirus produce long-term immunity, which is something that I have argued for since May of last year. Right. And in fact, I applied for a patent on it. And, in, and I just didn't apply for a patent on it in the United States. I contacted the Chinese Academy of Science and other people. I was not silent. I, I made my position very clear on that. 
Okay. So based on what you're saying, Dr. Marquez, what are the main points that came from this article? The- well, if I look at this, that natural immunity surpasses vaccine-induced protection. Which has come out in Israel and has come out in the UK, that people that are vaccinated are more likely to get uh, be hospitalized once if everyone was vaccinated in the United States, like in other places in the world. Okay. That's right. And then, so what can you do? Here's what you can do. Technically, I can't give you medical advice if I'm not licensed in your local neighborhood. You have to encourage your doctor or your physician or your nurse practitioner to watch our program. So we can explain some, they don't have to be complicated concepts, but we can explain stuff to them that wasn't explained to them by the CDC last year. Correct. So if you have somebody in healthcare, you need to trust I tell you who you need to trust is not somebody on a radio talk show. You need to trust your local doctor who holds your hand, who looks you in the eye, who you trust, who's licensed in your state. And that doctor needs to tune into our channel and we need to bring him up to speed. That's a great idea to share this definitely with any money out there because this is what, this is not the truth that's going out in the news. It's not the truth. Yes. What we want you to do is to tell your physician he is a smart guy or woman and that they're not dummies. And guess what? The people who weren't telling all they knew was the CDC last year. So encourage your doctor to go to places like this website. This is not going to be, this website is not recommended by the AMA. In fact, it's a little bit uh, leftist. It's coming out of Canada. Okay. for It has politically inappropriate stuff on it that most that would offend the AMA and, and, and probably the uh, people within the government or the Republican party. I don't care. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, your physician has needs to be educated about what natural immunity is, how gut immunity occurs, the difference between an immune antibody response and, right. a, and a bloodstream antibody response. We talked about these issues to our listeners. Many of our listeners so, were so, not physicians. So what's this? But we still presented them. Well, so what does so basically what I because we are close to running out of time, Dr. Mark. I wish we could have more time, and we next week on the podcast we can talk more about it. Basically, everything you said, natural immunity. Uh, you're more likely uh, you, if you have antibodies to the shouldn't get the COVID nineteen vaccine, and that sixty five and over should be the ones that get it. Is that what came out in the article? Yeah. Now that would, that would be my, I can't give that advice to you, but my advice to my own family members, I've got a daughter and she told me last night, she still wants to have kids. She's 29 years old. Right. Hell no. Hell no. I'm not telling my daughter at 29 to go get some experimental vaccine. She's probably already had it and been exposed. Do you understand? I'm not going to, until there's more studies about long-term affecting, you know, fertility, I, I, I don't even want to go there with, now that's my choice on my own daughter. So I did not advise her to do that. Now I have a son, I have two sons that are less than 30. I'm not telling them to run out. Okay. So did they, at least one of my children use natural exposure to his gut. He's never had it, even though he's done probably hundreds of swabs from people that were exhaling 
never had COVID because he already had an immune defense. My wife, guess what? She already had an immune defense. She didn't depend on a vaccine. There's millions of people out there who had an immune defense that never had a vaccine. Here's the problem, though. Some people thought they were had an immune defense and didn't, and they can get sick. We have a lot of hospitalizations in the United States. People are not on ventilators that much over the last three months, but they were in the hospital getting transfusions and a lot of people got sick and some people died. The death of anybody is very important to that person and that person's loved ones. We don't need to ever minimize that in any way, shape or form. But guess what? The number of people that would have died if there had not been at least some partial immunity among the unvaxxed was only about 10% of what it Okay, So absolutely, Mark. And I, I wish that we can continue to go further into this. So basically summarize everything that came in this article is what you're pretty much saying. People can go where to that article and find out information on you. Where can they go? You can actually go to globalresearch.ca and you can get this article. I thought that it was a excellent article and it really went into these things. And in fact, look, hear about new hospitalizations. Look at this on the death trends, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Some of the stuff coming out of Israel is, is very shocking. Now, what is tragic in America is that we should have to turn to a Israel for, for information. That's that's. What's that telling you? Right. And then we should gonna, be able to get accurate information from our own local doctors. We're not getting it from the UK or Israel. And that's something for us to talk about next week about Dr. Fauci and two of the pandemics he's dealt with, HIV yeah. and also the COVID and how he's handled it. That's something for another topic, another time. So to close out the show, basically, Dr. Mark, you quick little saying you always say at the end of the show. Yeah. You know, I have to thank God for all my blessings. Thank God for being alive today. I thank God for a, a natural immune response that has protected me since my childhood. I got my childhood immunizations. And I encourage each and one of you to get your immunizations. You need to have your physician contact you about immunizations. Your physician should be your advocate. I'm glad to see the FDA stand up and begin speaking some common sense to the CDC and to the Biden administration. And I want us to always be thankful and make the most use of every day we have. Every day is precious. Tell somebody you love, somebody that you know that you love them. Spread the love and spread the care. Encourage people to have healthy lifestyles. Avoid obesity. And for people at high risk, over 65, that have been, that are high risk and other have immune diseases, those people are fine to get a vaccine if they've never had one. And if they wanted to get a booster, it's probably not all that bad. They're not even gonna have their immune systems get weaker as they get old. They're not even likely to have that big an immune response. Younger people have younger, stronger, healthier, healthier systems. We still don't know all the long-term complications. And I would encourage when we look at our government, if we're going to make decisions on 300 million Americans, don't let five or 10 people at the CDC make it. When we make government decisions, we have 400 representatives at least make decisions on our federal budget. When we make decisions about vaccination for hundreds of millions of Americans, it needs to be with 
at least a hundred doctors from all over the United States and a hundred, your local medical facilities, your local state medical facilities, your physicians in your community should have a voice. That has always been my position. Empower your local physician. Encourage them to have their voice heard. And thank you for listening. We should definitely send it out to every local physician, this podcast, and start to send it out, get a bunch of emails together and just send it out. So, Mark, let's talk about that next week. All right, that was the COVID-19 vaccine show, guys. Take care. We're here at the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program, former NFL player, college football player, all-stars we're going to talk about, John Patrick Sullivan. John, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Really great to be here, and I'm excited to explore with you. I'm excited to explore with you first. Now, did you always <laughs> want to be a football player? <laughs> yeah, that one uh, was decided early on in my life. I uh, was a troubled kid. I, you know, a little bit of a um, not a classroom uh, student, so I was outside a lot. That that little edge and sports was a way for me to be focused, organized, and um, get uh, recognized in some way other than academics. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Long Island, Massapequa. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so so th- when I was thinking you went to the University of Illinois to play college right. football, was the area where you were located big for high school football? Well, interesting enough, that's a good question because um, – the coach at Illinois at that time was Bob Blackman and he was up in Dartmouth before and he had a lot of connections back in the East coast. So they spent a a lot of time back in that New York Metro area, uh, area recruiting. And that's, they found, uh, they found me out in long Island and um, they really hustled. They really tried really hard. Uh, I was recruited heavily when I was a senior in high school. I went, to, they don't allow this anymore, but I went to 17 different universities to go check out which one I wanted to go to. And um, it was a bit overwhelming, I must say. <laughs> it was too much. So you I really think, had, you so you really were recruited highly then, it sounds like. Yeah, I, was, I had a, a Woody a Hayes in my living room one day in Ohio State, Michigan. You really had Woody uh, Hayes in your living room? Yeah, he came to visit. Was me. he a nice guy? He was he was intense. You can feel the intensity. So you weren't surprised about what Woody Hayes did later, then, right? Yeah, right. But he he tackled that guy on the sideline. (laughs) He was uh, he was quite intense. But you felt that in his personality. You know, he you know he didn't shut it off, even though he was trying to be on his best behavior at the uh, living room with my mom and dad. Um, But it was just an interesting time. You know, you're 18 years old and there's a lot of pressure, a lot of people, adults, you know, this is their livelihood. And they're really intensely recruiting seniors all over the country and it's their job. So it gets really um, a big deal. It becomes a really big deal, especially schools like Illinois. It doesn't have the Ohio State, Michigan, USC, following so they have to work twice as hard and uh, that's what they did with me they just really put on the uh, the red carpet that's great important. it's important right that red, red carpet for sure and then so so yeah. you chose illinois and why well the illinois uh came into uh, first i had a great visit I, I there was a couple of kids from long island that were already out there and they showed me around and i had a nice visit 
But the key was one night, I'll never forget, I was sitting in my bedroom reading and my mother yelled up the stairs and said, John Patrick, Dick Buckus is on the phone. <laughs> and I thought it was one of my best friends who lived around the corner was also another football player. He was the quarterback on the team. And I said, Mom, that's Guy Go, you know, don't bother with him. Just tell him I'll call him back later. And she goes, no, no, it's really Dick Buckus. <laughs> so I walked down and here's Dick Buckus on my phone. And he started getting involved in the recruiting uh, aspects. Um, got to meet him a couple of times out there in Illinois. And then um, I was really sold on that linebacker tradition. You know, I was playing uh, middle. I wanted to play middle linebacker. I was really set on that. Um, and he, you know, became like a mentor. And I, I think I told you this before, but I broke all his records at Illinois. Um, yeah. And it was, um, it was really where, you know, I had a great experience out there. We, we were a mediocre team at best. But the great news was, you know, I got to uh, get recruited. They find you, like the Chicago Bears were watching Illinois kid, you know, and so they recruited me in the sixth round in 1979 draft. And it just kind of rolled from there into uh, training camp. Great. Uh, Buddy Ryan was a linebacker coach wow. and um, had a great first preseason. I was the MVP on defense, he had an interception. And I got hurt at the end of the that game with the Jets. It was it was a preseason game, and I couldn't walk in that, like for ten days, and that oh, was gosh. it. <laughs> there was some guy right behind me stepped in, and they let me go soon afterwards. Um, and I, I got picked up almost immediately by the Jets, though. Uh, so that was great. I didn't miss that season '79, and um, uh, had a, my little my little dance up in that big league with the Jets. You know, I had my two and a half years with them. And it was great. I had a great time because I was from New York. Uh, I was always the guy in the locker room looking for lots of tickets. <laughs> so it was it was a great experience going home playing. And um, it was um, it was the evolution. You know, this is where I really want to get into the you know that intense experience at such a young age. I think I was done playing. I went to Canada for a while, and I went to uh, United States Football League. But I was done like I was 25, 26, and my whole life was, you know, pre-football. I mean, it was. So you played in the USFL. You played in the USFL as well. Yeah, I played in the United States Football League with the, uh, with the Chicago, what they call the Blitz, I think it was. Blitz, yeah. George Allen was the coach. Right. It was a really good, ex that was a good experience. Maulers. The Pittsburgh Maulers were part of that league. And the uh, yeah. Washington Generals were owned by Donald Trump. Right? right, right. I got to play with them for a little while. That was the end of my career. I remember they transferred me because they were just looking for fresh meat there by that time. So they sent me over to the generals and I'm running around and practice one day and the coaches screamed at me and I just got there. I mean, it was like my first day, like I was supposed to know the whole playbook. And I just said, that's, I took my helmet off, threw it on the ground, walked in the locker room and I got showered. And I left. That was the end. Did you get that the, was sure. the owner? Did you get yeah, to meet Trump, Trump as the owner? owner? Did you get to yeah. meet him ever? I never got to meet uh, Trump. I got to meet Herschel Walker. He was on the team. Oh, yeah. That was, you know, so that was an ex experience uh, being with him and the team. Um, but it was just that was that was the end of my story. I was really I, I think we talked about this earlier, but my body was really left at University of Illinois with all the tackles I made. And I put in they put they really you know got their money's worth out of me. <laughs> And by the time I got to the pros, I already had knee surgery. My shoulder should have been operated on. 
And it was just, my body was saying, shelf life is over, brother. <laughs> Time out, go. But I, you know, you're hard, you know, you're young and you think you can still do it. And um, I just kept on banging it, you know, my heads and it came out to be, uh, you know, finally it was, you know, it came out of retri- retirement twice, you know, once for United States football, uh, for Canada, I went to Canada first. And then I went to the United States Football League after that, after like a year after Canadian uh, ball. And uh, I just couldn't let go because it was such a big part of my life. But that's, you know, the next phase of that. I don't know if we want to get into it right now, but that was the the spiritual awakening that happened during football. Really? Oh, so tell me the yeah. story about how that awakening happened during football. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about that because what I felt when I was thinking about mm-hmm. talking, you know, the, the samurai warrior. Right. That was like the Zen beginnings of how to take these uh, uh, warriors, really, you know, kick ass guys like, you know, uh, um, uh, spiritual warriors. Here they are, you know, all Zenned out. And they said, we got to do with something with them after football. You know, what do we do? So they came up with this spiritual practice, the Zen, you know, very strict, sitting quiet, stillness, you know, meditating is not easy for these warrior guys. So in a way, I kind of use that as a metaphor for me is that I learned all this stuff about being present in football, being in the moment. You know, if you're thinking about anything else on that football field, you know, you're going to get your ass handed to you on a a sideway platter, you know. So you got to be so focused and so in the moment that this is a training that you don't get anywhere else. And martial arts is another way, you know, any kind of sports, I should say, not any, but football, especially because you're going to get hurt if you're not, you're not, you're not knowing where to go before the ball snap, actually, um, where you want to, where you're leaning, what you read the defense, offense alignment, you read the quarterback eyes, eyes. So he can kind of give you a, a little bit of a clue where he's looking at where the ball's going. So that's where I started developing this, um, I'll call it an inner sense. And then after football, I went to work for Budweiser, you know, typical jock thing to do. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in the sales room one day and I'm saying, <laughs> oh, we just won the Bud Lighted tournament, whatever it was, the Bud Light uh, sales um, uh, quota. And so, and everybody shook hands and everything. And it was just, there was something missing for me that was yeah. like really, you know, that wasn't on the, energy that I got from playing sports. And then a couple of the personal things happening, like my uh, parents passed away, you know, the guy, death, loss, you know, all those things. And I wasn't prepared for it. I, I was very, I was about a year or something out of my NFL career. And that was the one thing that I remember being with my father towards the end of his life. And I said, I have to find a path that has a death process or death journey with it. He was a Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic, um, New York City cop beautiful guy but you know he really struggled at the end because of that not having the contact so that's where i started really getting involved when i saw that happen went through a divorce you know that personal stuff that really rocks your boat and says who am i you know who is this guy exactly you know that's really what it came down to were these personal um losses death you know and i said i gotta find something and <laughs> I don't know, I hope everyone understands this, I, but I met a, a girl that dances down, uh, out, uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. I was moved down to Atlanta, Georgia to work for a beer company down there. 
And that was a really big next step for me to get out of New York because I was so, right. everybody knew me. I played for the Jets. Da, da, da. I couldn't leave that identification. So when I got moved down to Atlanta, I met uh, this woman who was a, a yoga practitioner. And she said, why don't you come to one of my classes or one of my, we're going to go to class tonight. So I went and changed my life. I had a full, another Japanese word is called Satori, which is a total embodied present feeling that I never really experienced playing football because you're always in pain. Right. You always hurt. You're always bruised up. You're always, your neck hurts, your arms hurt, your knees hurt. So when I was in my first downward facing dog, I had this awakening experience. And I never left. I just stayed. I started studying with that local teacher. And then I went, you know, into it full time. I became a yoga teacher uh, for 20, I think it was like 23, 24 years. I, I studied yoga all over the world, got to live all over the world. And that was my beginning of the resurrection of the, you know, the, the spiritual uh, awakening. So when um, you got spiritual awakening, so you said yoga really gave you that balance when you figured it out and all these different things to who were the mentors that got you so that you became the co the teacher that you were for 24 years uh, what the mentor it's a good question the mentor that first of all you know the football laid in a very armored middle linebacker you know you're 240 pounds i muscle bound you know, at that time we used to do bench press and squats you know right. so here's this guy you know i can hardly move <laughs> out of my own way so I started doing yoga and the great mentor that I was attracted to was a man named BKS Iyengar, who had all these props for people like myself. So instead of going, touching your hand to the floor, you touch your hand to a chair, right. you touch your hand to a block. So he had all these props. So that was the man that really opened up the yoga world for me because I probably couldn't do it because I was so muscle bound and armored. Um, in the beginning. And then as I gradually, I got into, you know, years and years, I got into different uh, forms. There was a guy named Patabi Joyce. And I, I used to live in, not live in India, but I used to live in England. And we used to go to India quite often because my uh, girlfriend at the time was a yoga master herself. And she was a senior teacher at BKS Iyengar. So that's where I got into the, uh, go to India, spend, you know, four or five months there studying, living, you know, starting to change my whole inner world. That was great for me because I had such an American, you know, apple pie and right. football and all that stuff. So going out of this country, leaving for a while, living in Europe for a while, it really was a mentor for me there. You know, the growing up, um, individuating my own sovereignty. Uh, and all this was, you know, part of my, um, my life. You know, it was really important to continue to become a better person there's a great saying i don't know if you ever got him in ken wilbur he's a, a spiritual teacher and he always says you wake up you grow up and then you show up and i always love that you know because there's a lot of stuff that was left in me from football that i brought into the yoga world i'll be very honest you know, i wasn't a very kind or compassionate yoga teacher in the beginning because I was still working off that ego structure yeah. of a football player. It's not easy to change yeah, that. You exactly. know, it takes years. So you know, when, you talk, when you talk about yoga, define yoga versus meditation. Is it the same? One and the same? Okay, so this, nothing. You're asking some great questions. So why I start, I think yoga, what they be really discriminating is called hatha yoga. 
Hatha yoga is the physical poses that you do in a class down the YMCA, that you do in a health club. Um, and what that did for me, if somebody told me to sit on my butt for 30 minutes on a cushion in the beginning, you know, it, I would have went crazy because I had that ADHD and dyslexia and all that. For me, the sitting still, that's why, you know, we, we go back to the academics. I could never really sit still in class. So I had that uh, personality type. Um, brilliant on the football field, brilliant on the wrestling mat, brilliant on the track and field, but take me and tell me to sit on a cushion. So the meditation came later on. When I started yoga, yoga was very physical for me, which I needed because that's my, that was my sport background. Got into a, a very supple kind of movement, uh, more into the chi and the prana that it called, the energy, feeling those lines opening up, the meridians. Yeah. And then when I went to India, one of my trips to India, I started studying with a teacher that taught both the Hatha yoga. And then he would sit after class for like 30 minutes. And it was like, I was <laughs> paralyzed. I couldn't believe how hard it was. So when I came back to America, after I lived in Europe for 10 years, I lived in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery for a while up in California and Cayucas is a town up there uh, by Mora Bay. And, and I stayed there for like nine months, 10 months, and I just studied it deeply and became more of a meditation practitioner. He still did yoga, but like now my days are, I do mostly my practices sitting in the emptiness. The yoga comes in, the Hatha yoga comes in to loosen up a little bit now, you know, to get more supple. Uh, if I'm feeling tight in my back and moving, what we just moved, you know, you start feeling contracted, I do my yoga practice. But my main practices today are the sitting, are the meditation. And there is a big difference between Hatha yoga and meditation. What is What do you like better? You've done both. Well, now, you know, as I, I'm aging, uh, the sitting is so much better. And I, But I still respect and honor the asanas, asanas, they call the poses, asanas, um, because they had so much impact on me at, as a young, you know, 25, 26 year old man. Um, it really, I have great respect for it. And I respect for India for bringing it over here and picking up. And today, you know, you see how popular it is today. You know, every corner, there's a yoga studio. Exactly. But now so, meditation is getting popular too. So what do you do now? You're yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing the meditation. I'm teaching. Uh, I, worked uh, with a group of people out of uh, San Francisco called the Diamond Approach, and they bring in inquiry, inquiry practices, meditation practices, a little chanting in the way. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm finding my uh, groove in the first I, um, I'll get up and I'll do my sitting practice. And then Anne, my wife, who you know very well, uh, gets up and we do inquiry. You know, we have, you know, 15, 20 minutes and we Talk about what's happening inside us, you know, where we're at, what's going on, what happened yesterday. What, and we don't comment. We don't try to break the circle about, you know, oh, you should do this. You should, I just let her talk, let her inquire. And then at the end, I ask her a couple of questions to deepen her inquiry. And she then I get a chance, 15, 20 minutes. And it keeps a relationship. I've been married now 18 years, which I, it's a miracle, right? And so it's the way I feel keeps it fresh, keeps it current keeps the relationship uh sparkly you know fresh so, so it really so, has helped. so both you and Ain do the meditation business together in coaching together? yes 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 we do it together 
Uh, she's not such a sitting, that's where she's working on is her sitting practices. And um, she's really, you know, as you know, her uh, writing is her meditation, a lot of more inward, you know, stuff, work. But um, she does, she does quite a bit of the, she, uh, we sit before we inquire, you know, for a short period, like 10 minutes or so, which is fine. We'll get you in that flow and, in the, you know, checking in and making sure you're breathing. <laughs> Um, so that's where we're at with our practices. Awesome. Where, where can people learn more about your meditation stuff so they can learn how they can learn from you and stuff? Where can they go? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I would recommend, you know, that there's many, many different, I'm not officially teaching meditation, but what I would recommend, you know, what's your call for the first thing I would, you know, look for is, um, someone in the meditation that you um, resonate with because it's such a personal um, journey and to make sure that someone has the, the depth and the capacity to help you through your mind, your monkey mind, they call it, which is very you know busy doing this. And, and you have to get really um, in with someone that knows that and there's a lot of Vipassana is a good one because they, they, they sense your body and they sense into the sensations Vipassana uh, meditation is great. Uh, the Diamond Approach has a whole school, and they're all over now. The Diamond Approach is where uh, I've been hanging out for the past twenty-something years. Um, let's see, where else do I get inspired? Um, there's a lot. There's a guy named Arthur Kilmurray who's from Boston originally. He's up in the East Coast, but uh, he's a wonderful teacher, and he's doing stuff online. Arthur Kilmurray. He's an uh, Iyengar teacher, but now doing more um Taoist and uh, yeah so there's there's a lot of good teacher but I would recommend for the people to really take some time you know take a couple of different classes go around see where the best um best fit for you personally is that's great so right now you're not coaching it teaching it you're just more practicing no right now I'm not doing any kind of coaching and practicing I'm Ann and I are working on this book. Ain, I know you. I noticed you called it Ain. Ain and I are working on this book, Linebacker to Love. It's been going on forever. So that's how my main focus, my body of work, feels like. You know, put this little book together for somebody that walks out of the locker room, and instead of getting lost like I did for a couple of years in the black hole, that I'd be able to pass that on to some kid that just got cut and doesn't know where to go, who to hang out with. You know. So that's my, uh, my dream is to get that out, get, you know, get it uh, out to the, um, you know, NFL players convention and all that kind of stuff, you know, and get the, the word out that they, you know, you need to have some kind of spiritual path after you're done playing ball. Yeah. Are you, you know, thinking of going back to tell them in the NFL about that? And get yeah, for sure. You know, I still have some good contacts. There's some good forward thinking men, you know, that are in the NFL players association that, uh, yeah, that I, when I'm ready for it, I know that they'll be open to and receptive because they want to help the uh, the population, the retired players. And that's where the ones that are really need help now, because, you know, the young guys, the guys that are playing and the guys just out of the league, they, you know, they, the ego is so big and it's so, um, you know, intense that it's hard for them to hear. Uh, but when you get to my age and younger, even, you know, you're just you more open to the spiritual realms All right, and well, what's fantastic. possible. Well, appreciate yeah. it. So definitely uh, check you guys out. Appreciate the story. And I think it's great to know about 
how you've evolved in your career, but I think that NFL players definitely need the same retired ones because meditation again, helps promote brain health, your brain yes. is better and also your body brain right. is the most important thing to help your body move and develop without a good brain. You, you, your healthy brain, you're not going to have a healthy body. So that's so important. Yeah, the trauma that we go through with the brain injuries, because when I played, they, they, they used to tell me, oh, you just go get a helmet out of that box. <laughs> and you went and finished. It was, you know, it was like it was breaking my nose, all was coming down. It was wild. It was a different game than it is today. So that's when the trauma, the, uh, the concussions helps tremendously the brain, uh, uh, the meditation and the stillness and the and the happy of it you turn upside down you do you headstand you do inversion so i highly recommend it and i i you know after talking with you you know it does inspire me to get back into that you know the book and to get some exercises for these guys and help out you know as much as my can in my service you know be of service be of service i appreciate it well thanks again john patrick for coming by You're welcome uh, it was a fun conversation take care all right thanks very much i appreciate it all right, you're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And awesome. I'm, and I'm, I'm excited about this guest because I know you want your dreams to be interpreted, right? I want all my dreams to come true, yes. It's your dreams, but also to understand them, right? Of Especially course. when you're sleeping, when you're in bed and you wake up the next morning, you say to yourself, really? <laughs> Why did this happen? Is this a reason? But go ahead and introduce our guest, Dave. Well, we have a best-selling author and dream expert. Uh, we are talking about Teresa Chung, and she lives in London, and she's actually working on Katy Perry's dad. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a dream come true, forgive the pun, to be here. Really? Oh, That's interesting. You were saying you're working on Katy Perry's dad. Go jump in that because it's funny. I'm going to have him on my show in a couple of weeks. So go figure through another thing. Really? Wow. Yeah. It was meant to be. Did okay. you dream that? I don't know if you dreamed or not. <laughs> so we'll go with the uh, first question. Did you always, when did you find out you had this gift, Teresa? How, how old were you? Well, everybody's got the gift for a start, everybody. And that's on, I'm on a mission, a mission to get everybody to fall in love with their dreams because every time you interpret a dream, you understand yourself better. And the whole reason of our lives is to know who we really are. Because most of us go through our lives having no idea who we really are and what truly matters. But dreams try and pull us to that, to help us understand ourselves better and what truly matters in our lives. But to answer your question, I was born into a family of psychics and spiritualists, a traveling family, very unconventional upbringing. I mean, it was commonplace for me to be um, going to mediumship demonstrations, to believe in psychic abilities. That was how I was brought up. Um, I was thought it was normal. Of course, when I was honored to get a place at King's College Cambridge, where I read religion, um, I realized it was not considered normal. And this was not how the rest of the world actually regarded dreams and and um, the, the possibility of an afterlife. So I went on a steep learning curve, battled with skeptics, learned more about myself. And then because of my academic credentials and my love of mysticism, I was blessed to be given opportunity to publish book after book in this area. I've been with all the major publishers, ranging from Random to Penguin to Simon & Schuster. And my current publishing home is HarperCollins, where I'm writing again about dreams. I write about all aspects of the paranormal, um, but at the moment I'm really focusing on dreams and that's because of the lockdown dream phenomenon where everybody 
was dreaming big. And everybody wanted to know why. It's almost like dreams, suddenly everybody remembered they were dreaming beings. Yeah, I saw, I saw how many books you've written. Uh, it's amazing. I'm a um, serial, serial author. <laughs> so let's, I, I want to start right at the basics. Uh, everyone has an idea of why we dream, but why do you believe we dream and what part does the subconscious play in it? And yes. wh why do we, why do we dream? Well, that's almost like saying, why do, why are we alive? It's exactly <laughs> the same because I work with scientists. A lot of my work is I work with scientists to try and find out what the science is about all these invisible aspects of our lives. What is consciousness? And the consensus amongst most scientists is we don't actually know for sure why we dream. There is a school of thought that it's just like a computer offloading and sorting out material, that dreams are random. There is that school of thought in science, but I'm really delighted to say that in recent years, in the last 10, 15 years, sleep and dream research is moving towards dreams have a function for your emotional and psychological health. In fact, poor dream recall is, is associated in research with greater risk of anxiety and depression. It's very important for our well-being. So we don't actually know why we dream, just as we don't really know why we sleep. If you look at sleep research, there are all these theories. Sleep isn't to rest because when you're asleep, your body's fidgeting, your mind's active in dreaming. You're not sleeping to rest. We don't actually know why we sleep, but we know that dreams happen when we sleep. And that when um, in tests of animals, animals are deprived of REM sleep, that's rapid eye movement sleep, where most dreaming happens, death is swifter. So that raises the tantalizing possibility. Is the reason we sleep because we need urgently need to have a dream because it's good for us. But to return to your question, why do we breathe? Why do we dream? Uh, it's that, that central to our existence. We are all dreaming beings. Even people who say they don't remember their dreams, they do. They do actually dream because they say, oh, I don't dream, but they do. They're just not recalling them because if they're wired up at night with, with electrodes and all that, it shows the brain is actively dreaming. It's just that some people, when they wake up, don't recall. Well, and you mentioned, you mentioned animals. I know for a fact that my dog dreams because mm -hmm. he, it seems like he has nightmares throughout the night. He's barking, you know, and he's sleeping. So uh, we all have not nightmares are a gift. They're an absolute sure. gift. I wish people would stop fearing them. They are so powerfully transformative. If only we learned to not fear them and understand them and think like a poet. When you're trying to interpret your dreams, you've got to think a bit like an artist or a poet because dreams speak to you in a different language. They don't speak literally. They speak in the language of symbols, metaphors. Remember in your English literature studies at school or you were looking at a poem and analyzing the meaning behind the meaning. And that's exactly how your dreams speak to you through this ancient really? intuitive language of symbol and metaphor, which cavemen would have put on their walls. It's all symbolic. And that's what you need to understand when you go into the world of the dream. It's the personal psychological associations behind these weird stories and, and movies that play out in our mind. And Steve, that's interesting once you develop that, because I, I basically one time took this one product for weight loss that, talked about at night and this was a natural product to help with dreaming and then after that my dreams have gotten so much more vivid i remember them tw three four times but when you talk about what about the same dreams reoccurring of something you did before it, it, that you did and then you're no longer doing so like professional wrestling 
playing basketball, two things I don't do anymore, is what is the reason I'm dreaming these things? And do, should I consider re doing them again is that my subconscious telling me no, to do that no it's not first of all recurring dreams are tough love it's your dreaming mind constantly say it, sending you the same message because you're not getting it because once you've interpreted a dream correctly it'll change so if you're having recurring dreams it it suggests perhaps that you're not quite understanding what your dreaming mind's trying to tell you so it's going to keep throwing you these similar images until you get the message of that dream and then if you don't, it could tip into the nightmare scenario because that's what I say, nightmares are kind of extreme tough love, the shock value. We have a nightmare because our dreaming mind wants us to remember it when we wake up because it's something very important our intuition has to say, say to us. Now, going back to your past, something in your present is stirring up feelings similar to the past. Or your dreams are very current. They're not about the past. They're not about who you were in the past. Your dreams are always about the present moment, what's going on with you right now. But it will use things that were emotionally significant to you in the past because it know it speaks to you. So it's something about what happened in the past is kind of reoccurring in a different way in the present. Some lesson you didn't learn, something you need to face some skill that you could maybe use from that in your current situation. That's what it's trying to tell you. Mm. It's trying to make you understand what in the past have I not moved on from? Am I not facing? Am I not learning from right now? It's always about the present in your dreams. It's not about your past. It's about who you are right now. So your, your dreaming mind wants you to reach back to that time, that moment in time, when this was very, very emotionally important for you. And maybe to bring some of that passion to what you're doing right now. Maybe that's as, as simple as that. Mm. It's not about you wanting to go back to who you were. It's not about that at all. It's mm. something from there you need to learn now. now I, I've been married. Done. I've been married 47 years. And uh, for the last 30 years, I've had this recurring dream about my very first girlfriend. She was supposed to be the one that I married, but uh, she caught me uh, going out on a blind date as a favor to a friend. And, and she broke up with me and, and it, it just, there was no closure, you know, and I just kept dreaming. I told my wife about, it. I don't know why I'm dreaming about this girl. And so finally I says, okay, I need closure. I need to contact her and apologize for being a jerk or whatever. And I did. And she received my uh, apology and I stopped dreaming about her. But then the dream was replaced with this house that I used to own. And uh, we had to sell it because my wife had a stroke and we needed a, a one-story house. So what do you think the, the dreams about the house means mm. that was replaced by the dream about the girlfriend? Well, I could, I mean, I want to talk about, about dreams about exes and cheating dreams. <laughs> it's, it's too much here because the house, let's yeah. go to the house because that was your, your question. According to Jung, the, father, the godfather of dream interpretation, the house, whenever it appears in a dream, it's you, it's, it's aspects of your ego um, it's how you, you you present yourself in the world. Like the exterior of the house is how you present yourself to the world. You go in the house. The kitchen is how you nurture yourself. The basement is your unconscious. The attic is your aspirations. Basically, the house is the mansion of your soul. Your dreaming mind wants you to go deep within and explore the untapped treasures there and learn about who you are at a soul level, who you truly are, not all the uh, the bravado or what other people think you are. This is a 
whenever houses appear in dream, it's very powerful call to meet your soul, mm. your true essence, and explore that house. Finding a, a room in a house that you didn't know was there before is a very common dream. I get so many messages about that. I was dreaming, I was in a house and I, there, was a, there was a room and I didn't know what was in it. And that's obviously that discovering another aspect of yourself that you didn't know you had. But look at the house, is it tidy? Is it clean? Is it a lovely house? Is it a gothic house? Is it scary? Look at the condition of the house. I hope you have that dream again. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a beautiful house. It's a big house. Exactly. It's a version of my house, but it's always a little different. The rooms are always a little different. They're always in a different place. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's joyful exploring them, you know? The joy feelings is another way that your dreams speak to you so if, if the feeling is of joy this is a very exciting liberating empowering dream to have because as i say now you know it's the mansion of your soul what a beautiful dream to have the scary thing is if you're going to a house and it's all run down and the paint's crap okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.